what's good, Rocky Peak? It is so good to be with you again. It's actually been a little while. And if you're joining us for the very first time, special welcome to you this week. And I'm excited that you're here joining us for our online services. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Dre. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And I get to lead us in our time of teaching. But before we do, there's a couple things I want to be able to highlight before I jump in. First of all, as family time, I want to give a quick shout out to Tim Schoen, our high school pastor, and his wife, Silvana, because just three, four days ago, they welcomed a brand new baby boy named Joey, and it's their third, so they need our prayer and support right now. But we're excited for them, and so thinking about you, love you very much, Tim and Silvana. Second thing that I want to point out uh, before we go, the second thing that I want to point out before we go in is that if you're watching the live stream, so not on YouTube afterwards, but if you're watching one of the live stream uh, services, I want to encourage you to stay for the duration of the service until it's over, because immediately following this time of teaching, I'm really excited that we get to present with you just a beautiful piece of art, a brand new song, and it's just going to continue what the Holy Spirit's already been doing through the incredible worship we experienced at the top. That was awesome, wasn't it? And so lastly, as we get ready for our time of teaching, I want to encourage you, I hope you have a Bible, whether physical or digital. Hope you have a copy of our message note sheet. And before we get started, I want to invite you, Rocky Peak, to do something seemingly simple, but it's kind of profound, and that's this. Do you take your hands and just wiggle your fingers? You might be wondering... What are we doing this for? Has Dre finally lost it? Well, it's amazing that something as simple as this is a powerful reminder that we're not just, you're not just watching me on a screen, but we're actually interacting here. See, it's been a long time since we've been able to be physically present, hasn't it? But something as simple as this is a reminder that you're doing something more, again, than just watching me on a screen. We're actually here together. We are bound by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are interacting together. We are engaging together. We are dialoguing together. And we are opening up God's word and going before the throne of Jesus together. And so that's a simple reminder that we're in this together, Rocky Pete. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump right in. Jesus, thank you that you are here Thank you that you are present wherever that may be. Thank you that because of your spirit, we are bound and linked to one another. Something I've heard Michael say often that I've heard other people often is we may have to be socially distant right now, but we never need to be spiritually distant right now. And wherever you are in the Simi, San Fernando, Santa Clarita, in the United States or outside, if you profess the name of Jesus, we are bound together by the spirit given to us. And with that, we as your family, are coming before you this weekend to hear more of your voice, to hear more of your truth, to grow at the seat of our Father. And so we thank you for this time, Jesus. We open up your word. I pray as I often do as a communicator, let me become less and let you, our King of Kings, become much, much more. And it's in your name that wherever we're at, we all said out loud, amen. Well, Rocky Peak, this weekend, we're going to be continuing the series we've been in for the last several weeks now called The Resurrected King, Spiritual Warfare in Times of Challenge. And the heart behind this series is that when you give your life to Jesus, meaning you place your life under the authority of King Jesus, and you commit to learning to listen and follow wherever he may lead, you step over a significant line and you step into a whole new level of what's called spiritual spiritual warfare. And a key behind this series is that spiritual warfare is not an occasional event. 
but it's more of a regularity in our lives. In fact, spiritual warfare goes to the very heart and soul of what it means to be a Christ follower. And so our primary guide has been the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter six. And on your note sheet there at the beginning, I'm not gonna jump into it too much, but there you have one of the verses that has been guiding us in. And essentially to summarize, what Paul is saying is that when it comes to spiritual warfare, we tap into the power of the resurrected King Jesus when we put on what he calls the full armor of God. And by putting on the full armor of God, that equips us to not only take a stand in our battles, but it equips us to win in the name and power of Jesus. And so what we've been doing lately in this series is we've been highlighting the seven individual pieces of this armor that Paul highlights in his letter. And so today, what we're gonna do in our time together is we're gonna continue this deep dive we've been in, a mini series, if you will, in the very first piece of armor, and that is truth, or as Paul puts it, the belt of truth. Now, each each week in this deep dive, we've been looking at a different aspect of truth. Today, we're going to be looking specifically at the truth about our identity. Who am I and where does my identity come from? And this is crucial because the truth about our identity is a critical battlefield when it comes to spiritual warfare. Because hear me clearly on this, how you define and determine your identity, how you define and determine who you are and the source of your identity, where your definition comes from, that is going to determine the state of your heart. See, the way we think the way we act, the way we plan, the way we love, the way we serve, the way we deal with anger and anxiety, hopes and feels prioritized, it is all an overflow of our identity. And so you can understand strategically why the enemy would want to attack and create confusion. And we're living in a world and we're living in a culture in which there is massive confusion surrounding the question of who am I and where do I discover my identity? And that's strategic on the part of the enemy. If he can keep us confused, if he can keep us from discovering who we really are, then what that does is that keeps us not only from embracing the truth of Jesus, but that keeps us from taking our stand and taking territory back from the kingdom of darkness. Now, there's a lot of different ways we could approach this truth or this question of who am I? So specifically in our time this weekend, what I want to do is I want to unpack this question. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. If I were to say that my identity is that of a Christian, my identity is that of a Christ follower, specifically, what does that mean? What does that look like in everyday practical life? What does that look like in good times as well as bad times or times of trial and suffering? What does that look like in thought and in action? And again, this is where we see the strategy of the enemy in the kingdom of darkness, that there are many individuals, there are many groups, both, quote, in the name of Jesus and those against the name of Jesus that will define what it means to be a Christ follower radically different. And the enemy is strategic in that because if he can create confusion if he can remove clarity over what it means to follow Jesus, then that confusion is gonna create distortion. 
And so if the enemy can distort how we view what it means to be a follower of Jesus, then what he accomplishes is that he is going to distort how we see the person of Jesus himself. Here at Rocky Peak, we often use the language that he's gonna cause us to filter, to distort, to shrink the image of Jesus down because we are reflections of the Jesus we follow. And so we're either gonna reflect the unfiltered Jesus or a distorted image. And so what we're gonna do this weekend is we're gonna fight the way we were taught to fight by going straight to the word, by going straight to Jesus's own words and to receive our identity directly from him. And so if you're following along with your note sheet, you've got a section titled, Our God-Given Identity. Open up your Bibles or turn them on. What I'm gonna ask you to do is turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter five. Now, Matthew is the very first book in what we call the New Testament, the second half of our Bible. Again, we're going to be going to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be starting in verse 3. But before we do, what I want to do is I want to give you a little bit of context for the section of Scripture that we're going to be dropping into. So in Matthew chapter 5, what this kicks off over the next two or three chapters is what is called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, arguably, this is the most famous teaching that Jesus ever gave. And again, arguably, you can make a case that this is the most famous teaching in the history of our world. And the theme behind what we call the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus is declaring that heaven has now broken through into our world. Jesus has brought the kingdom of heaven near. And by doing so, he is now creating a brand new reality. And he is inviting all of us to be a part of the new reality of what he calls the kingdom of God. But what we see is that this new reality requires a new type of person to inhabit it. We cannot be part of the kingdom as the people we were. We can be part of the kingdom as a transformed people, meaning that Jesus has transformed us at the very core of our being. And to support this theme, especially in the first chapter, chapter and a half of the Sermon on the Mount, what we see is that Jesus commonly uses these two phrases. He would say, you have heard it said, and then we'll name a topic, and then he will follow up by saying, I tell you, or in other translations, now I say to you. And essentially what Jesus is asking through these statements is who or what is the loudest voice in your life? And the reason why he's asking us to reflect on this is because the loudest voice in our life often is the voice that is forming our identity. And so Jesus is asking, who is the loudest voice in your life? Is it mine or is it another one? To illustrate this, this actually makes me think of one of my favorite television shows, The Office. And specifically, if you follow, if you, if you watch The Office, Steve Carell's character, Michael Scott, he often feels antagonized by Toby Flenderson, the human resources head in their uh, paper branch at Scranton. And very famously once, I think it was at the end of the second season, Toby had done something that Michael didn't like. And Michael just gives him this death glares and he says this famous line, why are you the way that you are? 
Now, in a moment of honesty, Rocky Peak, have we not many times over the years found ourselves asking that question about people in our lives? Whether our own family and friends, whether people on a national level, whether people with a platform, whether people that have hurt us or even cut us off on the 118. Have you ever found yourself asking, why are you the way you are? But the reason I bring this up right now is because while that is a key question and a good question to ask, we first need to ask it of ourselves. Why am I the way that I am? Why am I the person that I am today that thinks, acts, reacts, behaves, prioritizes the way that I do? And again, to go to the point that I'm making, is that Jesus is saying, usually you are the way you are because of the loudest voice in your life. And so throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will say, you've heard it said. And so let's put in some voices in there. You've heard it said from your family of origin, from your childhood, from your upbringing. You've heard it said from your culture or society or social norms. You've heard it said from your successes and your accomplishments. You've heard it said from your pain, from your failures, from your anxiety and your fears. You've heard it said from your social media and your echo chambers. You've heard it said from your church backgrounds. You've heard it said from your enemies and those that wish to attack you and do you harm. You've heard it said by your politicians and your political parties. You've heard it said by the injustices out there. And again, not all of those are bad voices. Some are good, even great. But the point that Jesus is making is none of them are capable of giving us an identity. Only Jesus can. You've heard it said, but now I say to you, truth and with that, Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount with a very clear picture of our identity, of who we now are because of the work of Jesus in our lives. And it's a section called the Beatitudes, which is derived from a Latin term meaning blessed or blessed. And so we're going to jump into our scripture to see who is it that Jesus is transforming us to be. And I'm going to do something a little bit different this week in Rocky Peak. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read through the section of scripture fully two times. And each time I'm going to have some different instructions for you to be able to interact with this. And so this first time, as you look at Matthew chapter five, starting at verse three, I just want to invite you as I read through this to just make sure that whatever you're looking at on, whether physical or a device or a screen, that you follow along with your own eyes. I want you to see the word of God for yourself. And so let's read together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And now I'm going to read it a second time, and I want to invite you to do something with me. Wherever you're at, if you're in a comfortable place, I want to invite you to outstretch your hand in a posture of receiving, and I want to invite you to close your eyes and hear the words of God read over you. What I don't want necessarily is for you to hear my voice, but I want you to hear his voice. So with hands outstretched to receive and eyes closed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. And so let's go ahead and jump in and unpack this. The first thing that we need to under unpack is the meaning of that key word, blessed. And so on your Bible, in your note sheets, highlight, underline, pick whichever variation, all of them, but highlight the word blessed. And so we need a bigger understanding. Often we view, the, we view this word of being blessed as a finite event, something that begins or ends and has to do with our circumstances. But the Greek word that we're seeing in this passage is the word makarios. And that word is translated not as a finite event, but as a state of continual being or a state of existence. And so Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount by painting a picture of our identity now that he has entered into our life. And so what he is saying by saying blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are the, is that he is saying that because of his work, because of the work, the love, the power, the grace, the mercy of Jesus, we have been changed at the very core of our being. And now we are a blessed people. Our identity is defined by being blessed because of Jesus. And what is beautiful and bigger about what Jesus is saying is that we are a blessed creation regardless of the circumstances regardless of our shortcomings, regardless of the hardships that life throws our way, it will never change what Jesus has done, which is transforming our core being so that we are now blessed in the eyes of the Father. Our identity is a result of what Jesus has done and continues to do. And so hear me on this. We cannot separate our identity from Jesus because again, it is a direct result of who he is and what he has done. And so with that foundation, as we read through the Beatitudes, another way to paraphrase them would be that because of Jesus in my life, 
he now leads me to be this beautiful person. And so with that, what I want to do is I want to quickly unpack the Beatitudes, but I'm just going to do a quick flyby. I'm not going to be digging deep, deep into any of them in particular. If you join us and do the summer study that you can download online, it's going to give you an opportunity to do that a little bit further this week. But again, all I'm looking to do is begin a dialogue, not between you and I, but between you and the Lord about how he sees you. So look at this as being a catalyst. So jumping in to the first, to the first beatitude in verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so to be poor means that you have an awareness that you have a deep as well as desperate need, but it also means you are aware that you are dependent on someone else to fulfill that need you have. And so as we look at it spiritually, this core change in our character is that we are poor because we understand that we could not heal ourselves from our own sin. We could not forgive our sins on our own. We could not transform our lives on our own. We are beautifully dependent on God. Again, hear that. We are beautifully dependent on God. And what is the result of being dependent on God? He leads us to his kingdom. There is no other way. I cannot do it on my own. It is only through a poor in spirit dependence on him that I experience this epic vision he has for me. The next one, verse four, blessed are those who mourn. We mourn when we've lost something or someone of value. And what we see is at our core of our beings, the Lord is giving us permission to be a people who mourn. In fact, something I would say is that the mature are those that have learned to mourn, that have learned to lament, that have learned to worship in this way. But not only are we given permission to mourn, but as part of our identity, as part of being blessed, we are comforted by Jesus himself. And the comfort of Jesus is much bigger than him simply being a friend that comes alongside us in hardship and go, man, that's rough, buddy. I'm sorry about that. The comforting that Jesus brings is the hope and truth that our mourning has an end date. That because of Jesus, our mourning is temporary, is limited, and one day we will live in a kingdom where we mourn no longer. And then we go to verse five, the next beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, excuse me, uh, verse five, blessed are the meek. Now, a lot of us have heard the word meek, and a lot of us would probably say that the word meek, we don't have a high positive view of it. And so as we do often, we need to make sure that it's not our cultural understanding, but rather Jesus himself that is defining the terms he chooses to use. And so in the Greek, you can translate meek a couple different ways. You can translate it to say gentle. You can translate it to say humble. And again, we might go, well, those are nice traits, but I don't have a high view of them. But understand, meek, gentleness, humility, this is how Jesus is characterized. This is what we're told are core parts of Jesus's identity. And it's important that we see the way that Jesus models humility, being meek, is that it's not what we often think it to be being a doormat. To be humble is not laying down and letting our enemies and the injustices and the sins of this world trample all over us. But to be humble is true power. 
To be humble is strength because in humility, you are, you are using the strength to say that God is in control and I am not. And so his will be done because his will is always bigger. And in fact, when we look at the life of Jesus, it was the fact that he is meek. His humility is the strength that not only endured, but conquered crucifixion, sin, and death. And it says that the meek are blessed because they will inherit. When we fight spiritual warfare through the power of humility, just as Jesus did, we take territory back from the enemy and the kingdom of darkness. Now next, verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, this is a powerful picture to hunger, to thirst, mean that we are looking for something that will sustain us. We are looking for a food, not only to survive, but to hunger and thirst means that we are looking for a food that will give us growth and sustain us so that we not only survive, but that we thrive. Now, in a couple of weeks, we're going to dive deeper into this idea of righteousness as we look at the breastplate of righteousness in this armor. But to understand briefly, to hunger and thirst for righteousness means that our top priority is to be in right relationship with God, meaning through a regular rhythm of forgiveness and transformation, we are being made right. And when we are being made right internally, that then overflows and empowers us to go out into a broken world and to put things right. And it says that we are blessed because Jesus fills us in that pursuit he gives us his righteousness to sustain us, to grow us, and to lead us to a place where we thrive. And then verse seven, blessed are the merciful. And you see, mercy is a central theme throughout the entire Bible. It's a key part of the big picture story the Bible is telling. We see often throughout scripture, a God who is passionately loving a people that do not deserve it. And what's beautiful is that when Jesus changes the core of our being by making us blessed, he now empowers us to show the same mercy to those around us to those we love as well as, and he talks about this in more detail later on in the Sermon on the Mount, to those we would call enemies, to those who wish to see evil and harm done to us. And again, sometimes this can be confused with being meek as if, as, as if a confused as it means to be a doormat. And that's not what it's saying. See, Jesus is giving us a bigger view. Yes, Christ followers, we are called to stand against sin. Christ followers, we are called to strongly stand against wrong. Christ followers, we are called to take up our cross and to bring healing to a broken world. It doesn't mean we don't fight, but understand what he's saying. Fighting and mercy don't have to be separate things. We are called to fight and we are called to fight with mercy. And when we live in this way, we are continually shown mercy. 
we continue to be blessed because we show mercy to others because we don't lose sight of the fact that we have received and continue to receive a beautiful mercy from Jesus himself. And as a quick sidebar here, let me ask you something, Christ followers. When was the last time you paused and reflected on the fact that God showed you mercy when you didn't deserve it one bit? When was the last time you reflected on the power, the beauty, and the love in that? And as we move on to verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart. And so what we see throughout the Old Testament to be that our heart is more than just emotions, but it's the control center. It's where our identity comes from. And especially in the Old Testament, it doesn't mince words. It talks about how our hearts are evil as a result of sin. But it also often talks about in the Old Testament that our hearts need to be purified, that God has the power to purify our hearts. And what, it's made, what we see in the Psalms and the Proverbs is for God to purify our hearts. What he is doing is he is restoring a single-minded loyalty and devotion to himself. And so we are blessed by God restoring our heart and him being the top priority in our lives. And through that, it does the opposite of what Michael has talked about, the dimmer switch principle in which we gain an increased awareness that God is here, that God is with me and God is present. We will see God. And then we move on to verse nine. Blessed are the peacemakers and this peace, this beautiful shalom means more than just the absence of war or hostility. But again, the shalom, this peace means that what was missing, what was broken has been restored through the power and grace of God. And one thing that's key is the fact that he doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. He says blessed are the peacemakers. See, Jesus himself entered into our lives because there was no peace between us and God due to our sin. And so what Jesus did is that he made peace between us and God the Father. And so now as Jesus does, as Jesus did, we are now given the opportunity as a new creation, as those who are blessed, to now intentionally enter into where there is no peace in our world to bring the shalom and the restoration of God. And when we do that, we are blessed because we continue to be blessed because we are his children. When we act as the peacemakers, he has made us to be, we are continuing our family's legacy. And then the last several, blessed are those who are persecuted. And I know I'm not the only one that at first glance would go, how is that good? And it goes specifically to talk about persecuted because of our identity in Jesus. But there's also a bigger picture in this. And that's that when we experience persecution, or a bigger picture, when we experience hardship, when we experience aggression, when we experience suffering of any kind for different reasons, that is an opportunity for us to experience the extent of the power of Jesus. It is in our hardest times. It is in our lowest points. It is in our weakest moments. It is often in our most frustrated stances that we realize just how blessed we are because of the 
the power of Jesus in our lives. And hear me, Christ followers, we are in a tough season, not just because of COVID, but it seems like the last four or five months has been the perfect storm of some increasingly difficult issues in our culture, in our nation, and in our individual lives. There are many of you that would say, I can't remember a season in which I've been either angrier or more fearful or more lost or more anxious or more frustrated or more broken. And it is in that season in which Jesus says, blessed are you because of me. And it is in the midst of this persecution, this hardship, that we see just how powerful it is. In fact, it's so powerful that as he goes on in, verses 11, in verse 11, he makes it personal. Blessed are you because of me, Jesus. And so as we leave the Beatitudes there in your note, there's two quotes I love that help sum up the beauty of these passages. The first from Derwin Gray, just an incredible pastor and fun fact, former NFL player. The Beatitudes are a description of how God's kingdom enters man's realm and transforms it. The Beatitudes are a picture of what God's people under his rule and reign of grace live like on earth. They are the ethos of heaven invading earth. The next quote by scholar Michael J. Wilkins, the Beatitudes open the Sermon on the Mount with a sober yet dazzling vision of the operation of the kingdom of heaven among God's people, giving in a nutshell the way in which the kingdom makes its impact on the lives of those who respond to it. And so as we leave this passage, Rocky Peak, as we continue to unpack, we do so on the foundation that the battle for our identity is won through the truth of what Jesus, of who Jesus says we are. And so what I wanna do is out of the Beatitudes, I wanna unpack two simple but profound truths about our identity that we learn from the Beatitudes. And so there in your note sheet, you've got a section titled Reflections of the Kingdom. And your first fill-in is this, the Beatitudes reveal who Jesus empowers us to be. The Beatitudes reveal who Jesus empowers us to be. And so God's vision for your identity is a vision of strength. The beatitude describes your identity and it describes a person who is now strong, a person of strength because of Jesus in our lives. And this is the strength. We are empowered by Jesus to take our stand and to win the battles in spiritual warfare. And if you think about it, as we look through the beatitudes, it does not require strength to do or be the opposite of the Beatitudes. It's easier to be the opposite of the Beatitudes. It's frankly weaker to be the opposite of the Beatitudes. And not only is it easier and weaker, but we know all too well when we've been there in our lives of being the opposite, that it is far more destructive, both internally and externally in our relationships, in our world, to be the opposite of the Beatitudes. 
If I were to grab just a few of the Beatitudes as an example, to be righteous, to hunger and thirst for it means that regularly we are not only acknowledging, but we are repenting of the sin in our lives. That requires strength to be meek, to be a person of humility, a person that joyfully submits to Jesus's leadership in my life, to say that Jesus is in control, even when I think, and in some cases know that I'm right, I submit to you, Jesus, that requires strength. To be a person of mercy, who loves those that don't deserve it, that requires strength. In a humorous way, Watching the Dodger game earlier in this week, Dodger fans, would you not say that it requires a huge amount of strength to show mercy to the Houston Astros right now? You don't need to say that they're World Series champions because they're not. And I hear the amens wherever you're at. But it requires strength to be a person of mercy to even our most heated of enemies. And so what does this tell us about Jesus's vision for our life? Is that his vision is one of a super natural strength. On our own, we are not strong enough to be this person. The beautiful truth is that Jesus has provided his very spirit. We are transformed at our core because when we gave our lives to Jesus, when we stepped over the life, he reached into our very core, our very hearts, and he placed his spirit to be our teacher, to be our counselor, and to be his strength in our lives to give us exactly what we need. Like I said earlier, we cannot separate our life, our identity from the person of Jesus because it is his power in our core that empowers us to now live this out. Now, with that truth, we also need to acknowledge that the enemy has a key tactic to fight against us embracing this, our identity. And that's this, that the enemy will often deceive us into believing that as we look at the Beatitudes, we will never be able to measure up. The enemy wants to deceive us into believing that the Beatitudes is nothing more than a checklist of where you're failing, of where you're missing the mark, that the Beatitudes is a description of a super Christian, of a perfect walks on water Christian that I could never be. And the enemy will deceive us to discourage us because the enemy strategically uses discouragement to build a wall to keep us from seeing the truth of Jesus. And that truth is this, that the Beatitudes are a long-term vision Jesus has for our life. The Beatitudes are a roadmap, not necessarily of who we are now, but of where Jesus will lead us by listening and following, and especially by empowering us through his strength. We may not yet be, but because of Jesus, we will be. He gave us his spirit before we were reflections of this to teach us, to lead us, and to encourage us that whoever you are, by giving your life to Jesus, you now have his strength at your very core, and that will then empower you to live out the Beatitudes in your life. You know, I think a key example of this in scripture is the disciple, the apostle Peter. 
And for those of you familiar with this story, if you go back to how his story began, if we go specifically to John's gospel, chapter one, we see that when this man, he was named Simon previously, Jesus renames him to Cephas, Peter, which means the rock. And if you think about the characteristics of that new name, a rock is strong. Jesus says a rock is a foundation to be built on. A rock is steady in crisis and times of trial. A rock is emotionally healthy. And for those of you that are familiar with Peter in the Gospels, let me ask you an honest question. Is that the Peter we encounter in the Gospels? No, it's not. Who do we encounter in the Gospels? We encounter a Peter who's impulsive, who's prideful, who's stubborn, who's angry. We encounter a Peter who is often the opposite, who is often not the model of the Beatitudes. But what do we learn about ourselves through this example of Peter? We learn that in renaming Simon to Peter, Jesus was casting a vision of who he would empower Simon to be as he learned to listen and follow. And so as Jesus speaks the Beatitudes to us, he is casting his vision of who he is continually transforming us to be as we continue to learn to listen and follow to his leadership in our lives. And it is a journey. It will be difficult at times. It will be bumpy. There will be setbacks. But because of his strength in us, we will be transformed. Because just as he renamed Simon, he renamed you. When you gave your life to Jesus, he renamed you with his name. You became a Christ follower, a Christian. And with that transformation came his strength to teach you how to carry that name well. And so that's the first truth. The second one, the second fill-in is this. The Beatitudes reveal who Jesus has freed us to be. And so God's vision for your identity at the core of your being is a vision of freedom. What the Beatitudes reveal is that a person that is blessed is a person that has been set free from the bondage of sin, but also a person that has been set free from the bondage of a false or a distorted identity. But there's a conflict in this because Jesus's methods of revealing our true identity, his key method is disruption. Jesus's truth is disruptive. And what I mean by that is, when we encounter the truth of Jesus, we're often encountering it with false beliefs, with filters, with things that we have believed passionately for a long, long time. And if you have ever had a belief challenge, especially a belief that you are passionate about or one that you've held for a long, long time, when it is challenged, it hurts, doesn't it? We quickly get defensive and we fight the wrong way, don't we? And so understand that Jesus will lead us to freedom, but to do that, his truth first needs to disrupt the false truth that were previously in our lives. And let me make a quick sidebar here, but this is important. If the Jesus you follow 
If your Jesus, if his words are never disruptive, if they never challenge you, if they never cause you to question what it is you believe, then you are following the wrong Jesus. Because it's a Jesus made in our image, not the Jesus of the Bible. Because his words are disruptive. And in that is a tactic, a strategy of the enemy. He tries to distort and he tries to lie to us to say that when we experience the beautiful disruption of Jesus, the enemy will lie and say, no, 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 that's not freedom, that's bondage. And you don't wanna follow that path. And he will continue to lie to us and say, hey, if you hear these alleged words of Jesus and you don't agree with it, it's because it's not from Jesus. The enemy will say, if you hear these alleged words of Jesus and they don't make you feel good or they don't make you feel safe, then you know what? It's not from Jesus. And that disruption, that de- excuse me, that deception leads us to bondage and the enemy succeeds in keeping us from our truth. But this is a good thing. Disruption coming from the words of Jesus is a good thing because it leads to freedom. And why is it disruptive? Because in Jesus' true words, what he does is that he reaches into our heart. He reaches into the core of our being. He reaches into our very identity to remove the roots of sin, to remove the lies the enemy has put in there. He reaches in with his mighty hand to do surgery and it is uncomfortable at times. It is difficult at times. At times it is a process, but when he does that, the result is freedom. A new freedom, a deep freedom, a purity as the Beatitudes described. And so these two truths that the Beatitudes reveal who we're empowered to be, who we've been free to be, They lead me to your note sheet. The words of the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life? Would you underline all of that? When Christ, who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Did you realize that yet? The Beatitudes not only reveal who we are, but the Beatitudes reinforce who Jesus is. We are reflections of the unfiltered Jesus. He empowers us and he frees us to be like him in our world, to be a reflection that the kingdom has broken through. And so how do we take a practical step at embracing this truth to be reminded of who we are from Jesus' words themselves? So there in your note sheet, you got a section titled Embracing the Truth, Taking One Key Step. And your feeling is this, our identity is transformed through directly experiencing Jesus' voice. Our identity is transformed through directly experiencing Jesus's voice. The battle for our identity, this spiritual battle is going to be won through the authority in the voice and words of Jesus. 
In other words, the battle for our identity is gonna be won through the word of God. And so however you wanna call it, write in big letters, Bible, scripture, word, but that is how we are going to win the battle for our identity. Because as I've often said, scripture is not simply ink on a page, but it is the voice of our king that speaks directly into our hearts. It speaks directly into the core of our beings. And when the king's voice reaches the core of our beings, it conquers and dispels the lies of the enemy. And so there in your note sheet, I love this from Luke chapter four. They, this crowd, they were amazed at Jesus's teaching because his words had authority and his word continues to have authority. And hear me very clearly on this rocky peak. The enemy will fight ferociously to keep you out of God's word. The enemy will fight ferociously to keep you away from God's word because he knows that if God's word takes root in your heart, he loses. And so Rocky Peak, let's fight back through the words of our king. And so specifically, practically, what's one way we can do this with the Beatitudes? I wanna invite you to join me in doing something I've been doing myself over the last several weeks. I wanna invite you that over the next two weeks, over the next 14 days, that you would carve out at least one time a day. I may suggest a few more, but I'm gonna say starting point, just one time a day to intentionally read through the Beatitudes but not just to read through it, to read through them, to pause, to reflect on what is Jesus saying to you about your identity and to think about what does it look like to apply the Beatitudes in your life. Now, there are many different ways you could do this. And so what I wanna do is I just wanna suggest one that I've been doing and it's a visual way because I'm a visual person and it helps. And so what I would say is take the Beatitudes and put them somewhere in your life where you're gonna be able to see them. And so a couple of ways that I've done this in my own life. One, I printed out the Beatitudes, just like it's there on your note sheet. It's the reason why I wanted to provide it. But if you want, print it out in a different format. And I put it in a place that I would see often. So for me, I put it on my refrigerator because I spent a lot of time near my refrigerator. But for you, maybe it's in your car. Maybe it's on the door to your room. Maybe it's in your kids' rooms. Maybe it's on the nightstand. Maybe it's near your computer or your devices where you jump into social media. Wherever it is, put it in a key place. Or for some of you, maybe the visual thing is digital. And so again, I did this as well, that I went into version, and I did what was called a bookmark of the Beatitudes that consolidated it into one screenshot. And I just took a picture of it and I can use it as my lock screen. I can save it on my phone. I actually put it into an album on my photos that I called Identity. And so at least once a day, read through, pause, reflect and apply. And this changes things. Let me give you just an honest example from my life. A couple of weeks ago, around when I started doing this, I found myself in a passionate disagreement with someone in my life, somebody outside my family. And I'm sure you've been there, right? And so I found myself pacing in my kitchen. As I was pacing, I was upset. I was angry and I was stupid 
doing? See, this is the disagreement that required a response. And so as I'm pacing, I'm actually talking out loud and I'm thinking through how I'm gonna respond to this person in my life. And the more I talk, the angrier I get. My response is framed around the fact that they are absurd, they are wrong, and I need to tell them that and destroy them. And so I'm getting angrier and angrier and I'm enjoying this response going, yes, this is gonna show them. And it was in one of those laps I took that I looked up at my refrigerator and the Beatitudes were right there staring me in the face and I stopped and I read through them. And as I read through them, it caused me to examine and the Lord led me to a few beautiful questions. First, the Lord asked me to reflect, was I being poor in spirit in this? Meaning, was I depending on him and his wisdom for how to respond? Because again, it required a response. Was I being dependent on him to lead me to do that? Well, secondly, was I being merciful? See, I was in the right in this situation. But the Lord through the Beatitudes was challenging me and saying, can you be right? and still show mercy. It doesn't need to be one or the other. And as I paused, as I read and reread, as I prayed and I reflected, his voice changed me. I eventually did respond and I was empowered to respond in a very different way than I thought I would have. In a way that stood up for what was right but was dependent on him and showed mercy. And the second thing, he freed me. I have a tendency to kind of dwell on those disagreements, to not be able to get my mind to shut off. And I noticed that when I remembered who I was and that I'm blessed because of him, he freed me so I could move on. And so this battle is one rocky peak through directly experiencing the words of Jesus, your identity for in, uh, in your life. Again, through directly experiencing Jesus' words about who you are. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you tell us who we now are because of you. Thank you that the Beatitudes are not the only place in which you tell us about our identity. Thank you that throughout scripture, you you tell us that we are a chosen people because of you, that we are a royal priesthood because of you, that we are more than conquerors because of you, that we are children, sons and daughters of God the Father because of you. Thank you that it is through our, your, our Jesus given identity that we are empowered, that we are freed to stand and fight against the lies of the enemy. Thank you that it's an embracing who we really are, that we learn that our methods of fighting is what you modeled, that our strength comes from dependence, comes from mercy, comes from an internal righteousness, comes from being pure in heart, comes from making peace rather than taking it. That even in persecution and hardship, we are still blessed because you haven't changed. And no one, no matter how hard they attack, no matter how vicious the attack of the enemy are, 
It can never take away what you've done and what you will continue to do. And so we celebrate and we thank you as we go into this next time of worship and reflecting. We love you and thank you for loving us so well. It's in your name we all said, amen.